Today, we have a very special guest joining us. Hella is an architect who recently completed her master's in design for development, architecture, urban planning, and heritage in the global south from the University of Politecnico di Milano. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Meta. It's a pleasure. It's really an honor to have you with us. Before we begin with the, talking about the master's program, can you tell our audience a little bit about your background and how you got interested in architecture? My background is in architectural engineering. Ever since I was young and I was picking a major, I always leaned towards architecture just because I felt like it gave me a lot of freedom them in terms of creativity or in terms of being logical so I felt like it was a perfect balance for me and uh, I decided to enroll in the University of Sharjah to obtain my degree in architectural engineering and it was such a wonderful journey and uh, I don't regret my choices I was completely right about it being a very broad and flexible field so you can sort of excel in whatever you prefer. That's really amazing. Tell me more about your experience in the University of Sharjah. It was a very interesting experience. The first two years, I think I was as lost as any other architectural engineering student. I didn't know if I was uh, strong enough or creative enough to know that I was good enough to be there in this department because Mm -hmm. I generally don't consider myself a very creative person. And with some of the professors, I learned that creativity comes in so many different forms. It's not a very specific thing like, oh, if you know how to draw, then you're a good architect. It's completely different than that. And there are so many different aspects to to what to what I practiced during my time at the University of Sharjah and I think that uh, the different courses that we did and the different things that we learned really help you develop so many different skills that allow you to choose from so many different career options after graduating. That's really interesting. I'm wondering did that play a part into why you chose your specific master's program? Well, the first introduction that I had to humanitarian architecture was during my final year at the University of Sharjah. By that time, my country was going through major governmental changes and uh, me and my partners were all from Sudan. And we just thought that it would be appropriate for us to kind of step outside the box or the comfort zone that we put ourselves in because Throughout the past four years that we were doing architecture, the projects were very, um, let's say, luxurious. Let's use this term. (laughs) And uh, we didn't have a lot of limitations when it came to materials or labor or so on. So we wanted to challenge ourselves and we wanted to work in uh, Sudan, which is a completely different context than anything that we've worked in before. So... That was the first time that I realized that there is a completely different aspect to architecture. And I was completely like pulled towards it. I wanted to know more about this field. And I ended up learning so much about it during that one year at the University of Sharjah. We ended up writing our thesis in the role of architecture in reviving the war-torn villages in Darfur. And the project was uh, mainly aiming at... uh, returning the people to their lands and allowing them to move on uh, 
of course, it's very difficult to say move on because there's a lot of trauma that happened there. But uh, we wanted to use architecture as a tool to help people in a way. That's really beautiful. I love that. It's like you found your passion. Truly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, the last year at the University of Sharjah was a journey for me because uh, I, by that time, I was taking a parametric design course and I was extremely interested in furniture design. One of the exercises was furniture design. And at a certain point in my life, I was so interested in that, that I thought that I, that's what I was going to do. And I thought that that was the masters that I was going to pursue. But uh, after completing my thesis, I realized that this is what I truly want to continue with. And I ended up finding this master's that uh, just perfectly matched whatever I wanted to do in the future. Wow, they're completely different worlds. Like, <laughs> it's amazing how architecture can go so many ways and you can pick and choose uh, what suits you best. It's a very broad, broad field. So these are, this is just me. And I already had two different directions, two completely different directions that I was going to go to. That's amazing. So I want to know about this specific program that you took. What have you learned from it? What is some knowledge that you feel is imperative to share with us today? Well, I learned a lot of things from the master. Of course, with doing a research project like the one that I did for my thesis, it's completely different when you start learning from professionals and people who have been working in this field for many, many years. And the program itself was very interesting in terms of uh, the collaborations that they had. They were collaborating with a lot of important organizations. We had a lot of lectures from people who came from the UN, from the World Bank, or um, from other organizations that are focused on heritage, such as the Arahan Foundation. So... I, I got to meet a lot of professionals who allowed me to understand a bit more how in real life this field works rather than just on like a research or a paper that you do. And of course, that's very important. So we did a few theory classes and we had like guests come in. They were talking, telling us about their experiences. We touched down on so many different topics and I understood how even broader the humanitarian field is because there are so many different stages. So there's the emergency stage, which is for example, like a natural disaster and, or a conflict, a war. So how do you respond in a situation like this? And then we move on to uh, the state of relief where the disaster is over and people are sort of, now it's time to intervene and actually um, use the, the tools that you're you're able to actually be there in the country to provide your services and to provide some sort of support. And then there's the recovery stage, which is following the relief. So at this point, now you try to bring back people to where their homes were, for example. You try to build a school, rebuild a school, rebuild a hospital, something like that. And then there's development, which is a very interchangeable term. And this is something that I didn't realize unless I, until I did the master when the professors were explaining these ideas to us. 
And uh, then we spoke about uh, camps, uh, refugee camps. There's a lot of things that go in uh, uh, to the idea of camps. So we talk about monitoring and evaluation and camp coordination and management. And then we spoke about water and sanitation. <laughs> we spoke about a lot of things. So these are some of the topics that for me were very interesting to learn about. It sounds like a very comprehensive program. The humanitarian sector in its own is like a world. And I'm interested to know more about these uh, three parts. You said emergency, recovery, and development. Do you feel like there is a political relationship between this humanitarian sector and um, the work you're doing? Yes, definitely. There's politics involved, I believe, in every aspect of architecture that we talk about and when it's related to humanitarian then it's a completely different topic because now you're directly dealing with uh, governments municipalities and uh, you're dealing with the people who are somehow taking political stances so there are a lot of organizations for example that are governmental so these governmental organizations, if you're dealing with them, then you have to stand for what they stand for, or else your work wouldn't be appreciated or accepted. And then there are non-governmental organizations who are basically um, working completely independently from the government. So they're not being funded by the government, they're not being uh, supported in any way by the government, and they just act on their own. So there's politics in everything, but specifically in humanitarian, in the humanitarian field, you see a lot of situations like this. For example, uh, when a natural disaster occurs in a country that's under conflict, like uh, there's a civil conflict, if the organization is the part of the government, then a lot of the donations that they get mainly go towards the parts that are under the government. So the parts that are not under the government or the parts that with the uh, opposition groups end up not receiving any aid. Of course, this is a very specific situation to a specific context but at the same time this is a point that's a, a big problem because uh, uh, the area with the, no governmental support is most likely the area that's more in need than the area that's under governmental support so this is a situation where you see that the governmental organizations would get donations from people who are thinking that they are supporting the whole country, they're trying to uh, provide some aid to the whole country, but most of this money goes specifically to one area, for example. That's very frustrating. As an architect, as a planner, it's ugh, it hurts my heart to, to see it. Yeah. Especially when the conflict or the disaster is so big to the point that there is so much aid that needs to be going through to sort of allow the people to recover from this trauma. But at the same time, there is like a huge political aspect that completely disregards the people and just focuses on the government, for example. And it's very frustrating. Earlier, you mentioned uh, three parts. And I just remembered, I wanted to ask you more about the development part of the humanitarian sector. We hear a lot about developing countries. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? It's a very tricky term to use, if I'm being honest, because uh, 
based on what are we comparing? Like which countries are developed, which countries are developing, and which countries are underdeveloped? It mm-hmm. is very um, confusing because in many cases, for example, the UAE would be considered a developing country. But in my opinion, I don't think that there is more development than what the UAE has come to. Uh, they've come so far within a few years. So do we really consider this a developing country? It's more developed than other parts of the world that would be considered developed. Mm-hmm. So it's a very tricky term to use uh, develop, develop, developing countries or third world countries and stuff like that. I, I still am unable to put my hands on the right term for it, but... Same. I'm completely on the same page as you. Can you tell us more about a project or an initiative that you worked on during your master's program that particularly resonated with you? Yes. The final uh, studio in the master was actually an international workshop, and we got the chance to go to Maputo in Mozambique, And uh, this project was uh, in collaboration with another organization that works in Mozambique and other parts of the world. And we went there to to study and propose a a development plan for Chamanculo Sea, which is an informal settlement. And uh, we did a lot of research and work before arriving on the field to understand the context, to understand the ownership of the houses and so on. And uh, in many cases, and this goes back to the question of developing and development and so on. For us as foreigners who are doing our research on computers, seeing that uh, a lot of people don't have ownership to their lands or to the houses that they live, and that the municipality does not provide them with any services, water, electricity, and so on. We, we thought of that as something very strange and we looked up ways that this uh, specific topic could be tackled and we saw that the municipality actually can provide them with, um, with uh, proof that they own this house. But in return, there's taxes to be paid. You have to pay for these services. Sometimes you have to change certain things about your home. And uh, we didn't understand why not a lot of people were pursuing this. And when we arrived and uh, we did our interviews with people um, in the neighborhood or in other neighborhoods that we visited, they were telling us that everyone knows that this house belongs to them and that they're not interested in any way to pay for the municipality to provide them with services when they are able to independently get these services so there are independent uh, water vendors there are independent electricity providers so they're not tied to the to the municipality in any way and it's not illegal actually so they they just didn't care enough to obtain this ownership for the houses although for us it was a very strange topic like why would I why would I not want uh, a paper that proves that this is my house? But for them, they're like, everyone knows that this is my house. The services that the municipality is promising, I can get them on my own. 
So they just didn't care enough to, or it's not that they didn't care enough, it's just not as crucial as we thought it was. And that was so interesting because I would have never figured that out if I didn't get the chance to be on the field interviewing people directly. That's very interesting. It's, uh, I can see it's really important that you have this, to understand the need and not just propose changes without understanding them fully. Uh, there are courses in this program that helps you um, achieve this better? Yes, of course. Actually, uh, while we were doing the theory classes, we studied something related to the needs assessment. And it's the most crucial point related to uh, the humanitarian uh, interventions in any case. So I we actually did this during our bachelor's thesis, but we didn't know it was called the needs assessment. And uh, while we were doing our thesis, the first thing that we thought of was providing a school due to the uh, illiteracy rates in the country, specifically in the villages or in the suburbs. Uh, so we were planning to just propose a school and after we did our research and we studied more about the the needs of the people and we had some local partners who were providing us with information and sort of uh, covering for us the interview parts we figured that people do not ever ever return unless shelter some form of shelter is provided and that ended up completely changing the course of the project that we were working on because we started off with a school and then we realized that we need to tackle shelter first and then see if there's a way for this building uh, to turn into a school. And that's what we ended up doing. So during the master, when we spoke about the needs assessment, um, I understood more about certain things that we did just out of like logic while we were doing the thesis. And then in the master, it was confirmed that actually you can never ever work in a project without doing the needs assessment. You can never start because you never know what the people need. You might think that they need like how we thought in Maputo, people definitely need proof of ownership of their houses. And then we arrived there and people were like, no, there are ways that we can obtain it and we do not want to. That's very valuable to understand and to apply on projects. What did you like most about the program? I really enjoyed the fact that there were a lot of partners, whether they're different organizations or some guest speakers, and each person had a different insight. And from every single person who came and gave us a lecture or every person who came and we spoke to just as casual conversations, you learned a lot from them because as I mentioned, the humanitarian sector is so broad and there are so many different people who are specializing in different things. And to get the chance to get an insight or an idea about all of these different parts related to the humanitarian field makes you understand more what would you like to do in the future. It makes you understand more because in humanitarian fields, you don't work independently. And a lot of the time, even if you're part of an organization, you will be working with another organization that tackles a completely different topic. So I might be proposing a school, but there is another organization that focuses on children's well-being and they will be working with me to do something 
to make this project as successful as possible. So you need to understand all these different aspects, whether or not you will be pursuing a career in that field, in that specific field. But it's just important to understand the different aspects. And um, getting the chance to talk to them and getting the chance to also work because an internship was a, a requirement to graduate from this degree and i got the chance to work with uh, a studio that i was following up their work since i was doing my bachelor's wow that sounds great like getting to work in a studio especially if it's like if it's a perk of the program that they're going to link you to such places yes of course and that was one of the main reasons why i decided to take this program because I saw the many different organizations that they partnered uh, they partnered up with and uh, the internship was very interesting. So I ended up working with a studio that I was following their work while I was a student. Um, they're called Tama Sachati. And actually through them, I, I knew about the master and I applied because they posted it on one of their social media platforms. And that's how I got to know about the master. So working with them was like a full circle moment because I was just like a fan of their work. And then they were the reason why I got into the masters. And then I ended up getting the chance to work with them for like four months. It was truly amazing it sounds amazing uh, what projects did you work on with them I worked with them on two projects that had uh, very different themes the first one was a rehabilitation project for the psychiatric hospital in Bethlehem in Palestine and uh, this was um, a restoration project so basically we we worked on uh, uh fixing the building and completely changing its function. There was an abandoned building in the compound that we worked on proposing uh, a specific project for it. And the second one, I worked with them in the concept phase uh, and it was a vocational training center in Darfur, in Sudan. They saw that I had experience before in Darfur. So I did the analysis part, I tried to, I did the site analysis part, and I tried to propose um, plans or volumes for two different uh, sites in the, in the area. And uh, those were the two projects that I worked on while during my time with TAM, which was for four months. But unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to go to the studio itself because they're based in Trieste in Italy. And uh, by that time, there was still uh, a lot of complications related to COVID and restrictions. So it was a remote internship, unfortunately. The first part of the program itself was done remotely. And uh, it's, uh, it's not the normal that we're used to, of course, to not see people and to not move around and to just be sitting there in front of your computer for hours and hours. It's not really something that I uh, I enjoyed specifically, but mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, it it's completely a different experience if you get to be there in real life. So I'm also curious to know, it, it does sound like the program provided a lot of practical experience in addition to coursework. I want to know, do you feel that this program prepared you well for your career? 
Yes and no at the same time. The program itself is very well-rounded. We spoke about a lot of topics. We touched down on a lot of things. But at the same time, it's very complicated to start in a field like this, specifically because an architectural uh, background is not a major requirement because you almost never find a position as an architect unless you want to work in a studio. And uh, to work in a studio means that you're basically doing the same job as you would do here in the UAE or you would do it anywhere else in the world. So you're just receiving projects from clients and you design them and that's the end of it. So you don't really get the chance to be on the field with people, talking to them and uh, doing work similar to what we did during the master in uh, Maputo. I would like to work on the field rather than in a studio. So knowing this, knowing that it's hard to find such a job, what are your plans for the future? How do you hope to achieve your dream career? Well, as a person with an architectural background, my options are not limited just because I mentioned that uh, architecture itself is very broad. So the program did prepare me a lot in terms of uh, project management skills, for example, or proposal writing skills. And these positions are valid and they are available in the market or working in logistics and so on. But as someone who, if I were someone who wanted to work in an architectural field, uh, specifically related to designing and so on, a studio would be the most ideal option. And there's a few studios that I know. And uh, that's not what I would like to do in this moment. I, I don't have any commitments to tie me down to a certain place. So I would like to be working on the field. And... Uh, to start the search is completely difficult because a master's degree is not something that, for example, is looked at in a specific situation like this. A lot of the time they need experience and to get experience in, for example, project management in a relevant context is not that easy. Just applying to positions that I think match what I would like to be doing in the future, and I'm waiting for responses. Inshallah, Arab, all your dreams <laughs> and all your plans come true. I feel like I completely get you, though. I feel like I would love to see myself in such a place. Like, working there and doing this work, it, it feels way more valuable to me than working in an architecture studio. So I really commend yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you, dear. Of course, it's a very difficult uh, starting point, but once you start, there's a major push that you get from it. So mm -hmm. I really hope that uh, in the near future, I'm able to pursue a career in what I would like to be doing. Inshallah, Ya Rab. So do you have any advice for me? So, you know, I'm, I am actually considering taking the same master's degree or something similar. Uh, but if I were to take this specific degree, do you have mm -hmm. any advice that would help me maybe in the enrollment process or maybe in the courses themselves? So the enrollment process was very easy. You just needed to send your CV uh, first and then following that, send your CV and your certificates and so on. And uh, after that, if your CV was good enough, you would be uh, contacted for an interview. 
And in the interview, they ask you about your background. You talk a little bit about um, why you're interested in enrolling in this program and so on. If you if you pass this uh, the interview and with your CV, you're qualified enough, you get contacted by the by the department that's organizing this master and you just enroll easily. So it's not a complicated enrollment process. It's actually, it was very easy and uh, calm. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experience with us today, Hala. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Metha. The pleasure is all mine.